Ephesians chapter 5, beginning a brand new series of messages today. Uh, and let me just tell you right now, this, this one, this first sermon, uh, sermon is really not, you probably won't notice any difference, but it's not what I consider a proper sermon. It, it, it's not lined up like I like sermons to be. This is just more of an introduction. This is a thought to sort of expand it upon. We'll come back to this section of scripture in Ephesians, preach more expository like through some of this. But I just want to prime the pump a little bit today as we begin this series called Family Matters. Uh, how many of you know that family matters? Amen? Amen. And it doesn't matter just perhaps for the reasons that you and I might think. Uh, I, love, I love Thanksgiving. Amen? And I like family too, but I really like Thanksgiving. <laughs> I like everybody together. I like everybody getting around a big table, laughing. Let me tell you, when all, all of my pie, that's my daughter. I like pie. Amen. If you wonder what kind of pies I like, I like round ones. Other than that, I'm good. All right. The, I love the sense of family. I love the together. When all of my grandkids and kids are together, I want you to know it is pure chaos. All right. That's why I finished the downstairs part of our house, because that's where I go after I get there. Right? But I love it, though. I love it when they're all there. Some of you are aware that our youngest daughter and family are falling completely out of the will of God and moving away. They're really going to miss their kids, because I'm keeping my grandkids here, all right? They're going to think they're in that other car, but they're not going to be. They're going to be locked up somewhere with me. They're moving to Florida in just a few weeks. Uh, Jerry, our son-in-law, is already there accepted a position there with the city of Lakeland, Florida, being an accountant for them. But I love that. How many of you love that sort of stuff? Amen. This is more than that. This is more than just that connection that you feel. Family is more significant than just that. It's more than just uh, the fact that your kids love their parents and grandparents and the, the warmth that we feel in all of that, the connections and the goodness that comes out of that, as good as that is, the reason that family matters is more than that. I'll comment on that in a moment. Let me read you some scripture beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul writes this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, in, and is himself its Savior. Now as the, Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me pray for us very quickly. Father, 
I ask that you, through the Holy Spirit, would open every set of ears, every heart. Lord, help us to see something bigger than ourselves, something more important than its importance just to us, that the impact of what we do with this thing called family has an implication across the world, Lord, and for generations. What we do, what we men do, what our wives, the women do, what single moms do, what single dads do, what grandparents do. More than that, Father, who we are, who fathers are, who moms are, who parents are. Not what we do so much, but who we are, who grandparents are, who single moms, single fathers are, who unmarried young adults, unmarried middle-aged adults, widows and widowers, Father, who we are in relation to this idea of family. Let it captivate us today. Holy Spirit, you do what I can't do. Give us all a sense of your presence and your goodness and what you want to have happen. Use us, Father, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This, as I said, isn't, doesn't feel proper to me. I want to I give you an idea. It might sound, when we begin today, like preacher rhetoric. That's, that's my fear, is that you'll only, hear, you'll only hear a preacher talking to you about it. You won't think about it in, in its implications to your world. And that's what I've been praying that the Lord would go beyond. That you'd think about your involvement in this God idea of family. Here's the idea that I'm afraid that you'll think is just rhetoric. It's this idea. That our world is a battleground where Satan is attacking everything that is of God. Everything. There are really in the scriptures only three institutions, three, three gatherings of people, three systems, three institutions created by God that the scripture mentions. Just three. You, you may not, and we may not practice this first one in its best form, and we certainly don't, but government was created by the Lord. System of, of rulers, systems of laws, systems of how we behave. Government was created by God. He didn't create Republicans and Democrats. He created independent. No, no, he didn't create any of those. All right. But he created the idea that we should govern ourselves. There should be things that constrain us. That's an idea that came out of the word of God and out of the heart of God. Say amen if you understand that. He also created the church as the second of the institutions, not in this order, but the church created for the propagation of his word. Once again, I don't think we always practice it in the way that God intended for us to. We certainly do some things sometimes beyond what we find in God's word, and we descend below the, the high standard created for us in God's word. But the church as an institution was created by the Lord. Say amen if you get that. And the third one, which is pretty obvious, is the family. Three institutions created by God. Through family, God speaks. He reveals himself in terms of the family. In fact, I believe that you see a picture of family in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see this representation. And throughout the scriptures, in this section that we read, that Paul wrote in Ephesians, in many other places, you see and you have this picture of, of the family being and the picture, the, the model, if you will, of the family being how God intends to communicate himself 
into our world. Some of you men think that the way your family came to be was that I was walking down the street one day and over on the other side there was this angel. Whoa! Praise God! He created girls. That's what you thought in that moment. Come on, you remember? And the second thought that came through your head was, I ain't got a shot with her. But something moved inside you, Kelly, and you thought, I'm going to ask that dream boat out. And things progressed. And like all of you husbands here, I caught her in a moment of delirium and I married her. <laughs> amen? Come on, men, you need to be saying amen right now. God dropped an angel down out of heaven into your life, and when she wasn't thinking straight, you married her. And that's how your family came to be, right? And that, hey, you decided to have some kids, and by the way, you kids, and I'm trying to look around the room, uh, we don't have any real young ones in here. We, we, we messed up and had you guys. All right? We were having a lot of fun, and then we had kids. We used to have money, and then we had kids. Come on, amen? We used to travel and go out to eat. We didn't care about nuggets or french fries, or we used to have clean cars. Then one day, God rewarded us for letting you kids live. And we had grandkids. And it was the payback for all of the misery that you kids put us through. Now, I love all of that. But I want you to know that there's more in the idea of God than that as it relates to what family is. That there is this deeply theological purpose of God for the establishment of His Word throughout generation after generation. And it stands, that mandate from God stands as the primary function for what family exists to do. And every one of those institutions, the government, the church, and the family, all of those sacred to God, those are not just simply Western sociological constructs, the family and marriage and those things. Those weren't just sort of a stamp of, of, of governmental approval upon a man that likes a woman and they now have a contractual agreement that they're going to behave in certain ways. I want you to know that the family that is based upon the marriage of men and women together in godly order, all of that because of its sacred nature is under attack. I don't want that to sound like rhetoric to you because, well, that's what preachers say. I want to show you some things. The family unit is reflective of the person and the purpose of God. And I want you to imagine something with me this morning. Totally imaginary story, but in different places at different times, it's been portrayed, it's been acted out, it's been reality many places, many times. There's a young 12-year-old in our story today. Let's make him African boy. We could make him Cambodian. We could make him Vietnamese. We could make him Russian. Little 12-year-old boy. He is standing with a large group of people around him. And some large, meaty hand presses into his little hand a revolver. And that meaty hand closes his little fingers over the handle of that revolver. And this person 
pushes his hand out because kneeling in front of him with the barrel of the pistol on his forehead is the little boy's dad. And voices begin to scream at him, pull the trigger. Pull the trigger! Until what may have been weeks, maybe even months of indoctrination where they've stripped away his concern for any familial connection, finally at that pressure, that little boy pulls that trigger and he blows his father's brains out. Now, when that happens, that is not an alternative political philosophy expressing itself. And it's not just a a neat idea evil in its construction that just some individual came up with so that he might be the object of people's admiration. It's more than that. In that moment, that is a satanic expression of the heart of a spiritual enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And in that moment, that little boy blows his father's brains out, and he is now a worthwhile carrier of this state agenda where all family connections has been eroded. You say, oh, that, that's tragic, but that is so rare. It's not that rare. And it happens around our world. That is not some alternative political philosophy. That is neither Republican or Democrat or independent. That is satanic in its origin. Amen? One tribe of people attacks another tribe in an ethnic cleansing. And young mothers, forgive me, have their breasts hacked off with machetes so that they cannot feed their children. That is not just a different way to see the world. That is satanic in its origin. Amen? Unless you think this is made up. A man named Frederick Engel in a document many years ago called A Communist Manifesto, he said this, the hallowed correlation between parent and child, this must be destroyed. Communism had this malevolent hatred for the family. Mothers were forced out of the home. Respected fathers, this is in history now, Respected fathers were reduced to sniveling shells and systematic rebellion to anything that had to do with the family was pumped into the hearts and the attitudes of children. That was in the 20s. Watch the image of fathers in any mainstream television show today. When's the last time you saw a strong, I mean, able thinking, kind, protector of a family portrayed on a television show that was male. Now listen, 1920, Lenin wrote this, we are leaving no stone unturned in our efforts to overcome the backwards ideas of men and women to destroy the old uncommunist psychology. 
We are establishing communal kitchens, public eating houses, laundries and repair shops, infant care units and kindergartens, children's homes and public educational institutes of every kind. In short, we are seriously, energetically carrying out the demand of the communist program for the transference of all economic and educational functions from the separate household to society as a whole. You might say, Pastor, are you a hundred years old? Communism fell. Communism is gone. Now listen, I'm not here to talk about political things and communism. That's, that's not what this is about. Stick with me for a minute. I know communism fell. Listen, I watched with rapt attention when the Berlin Wall began to be crumbled, when people were up on it hitting with hammers. I had been there. I had been at the Berlin Wall when it was still up in Berlin. I spent a day in East Berlin while the wall was still up. I understand the tension. Several years after that, when the wall had completely been gone, I took a team of kids on a missions trip back into what had been East Germany. I was blown away that we could move freely. I was there in the military when I was on the other side of the wall. We came back. I walked down Brandenburger Strasse up to the place where the Berlin Wall had been, and it was gone. I thought there'd be sections of it left. There was just grass. There was just a park. I walked out. There were a dozen teenagers with me. I just burst into tears. And they were like, Pastor Roy, what's wrong? I said, guys, you can't imagine what this used to be. So I get it. This isn't about that. I understand that communism is gone. The point is not that communism is gone. I want you to know that communism wasn't just some political. Idi Amin, whatever, Pol Pot, whatever, Hitler, wherever you go in history and those philosophies, those weren't just political, sociological philosophies attempting to take over the world. I understand those largely have failed. Here's what I want you to know, that each of those individuals, all of those things were satanic efforts to destroy the three institutions put in place by God, government, church, and family. And while those have drifted into history, there are new ones that still thrive in our world today. Now listen to me. And they are much more sublime than communism was. They are much more adapted at gaining access to our young people and their minds and their thoughts. They are much more shrewd in their presentation, much more sublime. And they are attempting to do the very same thing, undermine parents in the minds of their kids, undermine moms and dads in the minds of teenagers. Have men no longer love their wives? Have them think that they're missing something? Have women believe that there's something better? Constantly this attack trying to destroy the institution of the family that God has ordained that it might exist so that his kingdom might be established. I'm doing my best, sister. You say, oh, I don't believe that, really. Let me give you some things. When little, gir little girls are sexualized while still children, and the number one sales mechanism in the world is sex, the target is God's created system of love between family and husband and wife, that, that little kids should be protected by their dads. You, you, you put little girls all made up. Come on, you. I want to know, where's the dad? 
that's, that was my oldest daughter that hollered pie a while ago. That guy behind the soundboard is my son-in-law. And we had a rule before. I remember the first time a boy called our home. What was that little terrible person's name? It wasn't Jason. No, it wasn't Danny Lindholt. This was way before you were even a blip on my radar screen. She was, she was in about the sixth grade. And remember, remember the little country singer boy? B.J. Moody, that was his name. And B.J. Moody called our home. And I answered the phone. She was about 12. I said, hello. I didn't say it like that. Hello. And there was this, uh, is, uh, can, I, uh, can, I, can I speak to Becca? And I instantly, I, re- I, I saw the crossroads of life. And I said, who's this? Uh, this, this is... Uh, this BJ, B, B, Becca, some boy's on the phone for you. We didn't have, this is before cell phones. He had to talk to me. Amen. She came to the phone, and so I messed with all of anybody that ever came around my daughters. And I said, who is that? It's BJ, it's BJ. What's he doing? I'm saying about this stuff. What's he doing calling my house? He likes, he likes me. He likes you. What church does his dad pastor? Remember that? I want to know what church is. Dad. You know, I don't remember him calling the house again. Amen? My question is, when little girls are sexualized, where's the dad? Where's the dad that says no? No. Put some, put some clothes on before you go out of this house. And then, oh, you, oh, pastor, you're 100 years old. Okay, maybe so. I remember when he, that sound guy back there, who God has given me grace to grow to love, think of him as a son, but it didn't happen like that. We had a rule that before anybody could go out, the boy had to come talk to me. Serious discussion. I wasn't playing. Took him six weeks after he asked her to build up the courage to come see me. It was a 90-minute discussion. I started at the top of her head and worked my way down. And it said, you can touch anything above her chin and her hands. Anything else you touch her with, I'm going to take off your body. <laughs> kind of like that, wasn't it, Jason? I said, don't ever say to me fair. I said, listen, if you want to go out with my daughter, don't ever say to me it's not fair. Because I'm telling you right now, dating the pastor's daughter is never going to be fair. What about time? I need to move on. Oh, yeah, he was at my house one night with the whole youth group. They were over there. And we had a rule that, he could, that they could be together until like 10 o'clock. And then he had to go home and she had to be home. And the youth group was all at our house. And it was like a Saturday night. And I was ready to go to bed. So I said, you kids, clean up this house. I was always messing with them. You always said to clean up the house before you went home. You kids, clean up this house and go home. And they got everything cleaned out, and they were all filtering out, and it was 9.45, and he was still sitting on the couch. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I got 15 more minutes. I said, you better get out of my house, boy. Like we'd signed a contract. I got 15 more minutes. I think we let him stay. I should have run him out of there. I'd still be having her living at home today. Listen. When little girls are sexualized, 
Watch this. When even the idea, now come on young people, I'm about to give you an idea that you're going to think is so old. When even the idea that young people should wait until they're married to have sex. See, you're like, <gasps> do you hear the room get sucked all the air out of it right there? You're going to talk about this, Pastor? Yes, I am. When even the idea that young people should wait for marriage to have sex seems laughable. We're in a war. We're engaged in a philosophical war for the hearts of our mind, minds of our young people. When, when that seems laughable, there is a satanic design to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the trophy for Satan is the family. When the idea of marriage being between a man and a woman becomes old-fashioned and to say otherwise in some circles is labeled as hate speech, you've got to see that that's not Come on, listen, that's not just politics. When has there ever been, think about how our world has shifted in regard to that issue. When has a political party ever been able to get something that big done? Ever. That's not Republican or Democrat or independent. That's something that is going on in the minds and the hearts of a generation of people. And it takes a greater power than any political system to do that. There is a satanic design to destroy the family. When fathers being actively engaged in the lives of their children is the exception rather than their norm, we're in a war. I went to Pastor Dan's dad's funeral yesterday down in Springfield, Missouri. And I bet if I heard one person, I heard everybody say it. He was at everything. He, was a, he owned a trucking company. He'd get out of that truck. He, he'd come to choir practices. He came to sporting events. Pastor Dan broke his, broke his foot couldn't play, and his dad came to games where he sat on the bench. And he wasn't even that good when he was playing. All right? His little brother was the athlete. All right? I heard it over and over. He came to everything. I love that, but that sounded exceptional to me. I remember a day when if dad missed the choir concert, that couch was going to be uncomfortable. You know what I'm talking about? When dads being engaged in the lives of their kids, when that was the norm, that was the expectation. Today we live in a world where if you find a dad like that, he's like the greatest dad ever. How did that happen? We're in a war. Come on, say amen. When respectful, excellent, excellent now, polite, hardworking teenagers are the exception. A young person, and teenagers, let me, let me, let me, when that's the exception, we're in a war. That used to be the norm. I used to, I used to pick up Coke bottles for a nickel. Walk ditches, no kidding, with a, y'all don't even know what a toe sack is. Anybody know what a toe sack is? Burlap bag. I used to walk ditches, or we would appropriate, borrow a milk crate from the grocery store. I didn't say Jesus was number one, all right, yet. I was a kid, all right? And we used to walk ditches picking, you used to get a deposit of a nickel. Three cents when I started. It went up to a nickel. We thought we were millionaires for a Coke bottle. There were some like, like, like grape knee high. You couldn't get a. You had to. We throw them out because they wouldn't give you money back on them. We pick up 
we'd walk ditches with a tow sack, picking up bottles to have enough money to buy a, to, to buy a Cox remote control airplane that flew on a string that you would get one time around, it would crash, you'd throw it down so drunk you couldn't stand up. And we, we just worked to get money to do stuff. I can remember, I was raised by my aunt and uncle, my Aunt Rita, that there was just one absolute cardinal sin. And I don't even really know what, the, I don't know how to define the transgression. I just always knew when I did it. It was called sass. You know what? Don't you sass your boy, you sass Aunt Rita. And I can remember the most terrifying words in my life. Just wait till your till your dad gets home. In my case, it was my uncle. You just wait until your uncle J.E. gets home. I was like. I'd go mow the yard. I'd be vacuuming the living room. I'd be studying multiplication tables. I'd be, I'd just try to do, you know what I'm talking about? Do everything I could so that when he got home, maybe I had softened her heart. So she wouldn't say, go in there and whip that boy. Because I got whippings. I didn't get spankings. I got whippings. <laughs> And if I said, watch this, teenagers, I know this is like a, and I'm not trying to move us back to the dark ages, and I don't believe that any child should be struck unless they really deserve it. <laughs> and I did. And I did. Listen, I lied and snuck out, and I, 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 wasn't, I was 10 when I moved in with my aunt and uncle. I'd come from my alcoholic, I'd been bounced around with a bunch of people. I'd never had any discipline. They were both in their mid-40s and had never had kids when I moved in. You talk about a train wreck. The first few times they disciplined me, they sent me to the bathroom. You just go in the bathroom and sit in there. I didn't know exactly what that meant. So I went in there, and the first time I came out, they'd sent me to the bathroom. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. The second time I went in there, they punished me for something. I laid down on the floor and went to sleep. They found me there. Right after that's when the whipping started. I should have acted like that bathroom was, oh, I'm so sorry. Please don't send me to the bathroom again. All right. I deserved it. I can remember never being allowed to say, yeah, yeah. What? What did you say? I said, yeah. What? I, I, I said, yes, ma'am. That's right. That is what you said. I thought that's what I heard you say. You said, yes, ma'am. No. No what? No, I'm not making... My bed, uh, yes, ma'am, I am making my bed right now. I was, I was taught the respect for people that were older than me. When, when, when we live in a world where respectful, hardworking, excellent teenagers are the exception, we're in a war. I don't, you don't have to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. That is, that's a southern culture. I, I get that, but I don't think it hurts kids to learn to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Please and thank you. Yeah, please and thank you. Yes, says the prophet Vicky right there, Baker. Where are they? Boy, you better start saying please and yes, ma'am, to your grandma from now on, all right? And get a haircut. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, Vicky. There you go. I'm just jealous, Hayden. I'm just jealous, buddy. I, I'd take your, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just jealous, buddy. 
Listen. But young people, you need to recognize that being respectful to people older than you is, that's from the heart of God. Honor your mother and father. You say, but what if I don't agree with them? Honor them anyway. Because one day they're going to get a lot smarter. Right now they're dumb. They're just dumb. You're going to get to be about 30 and they're going to become geniuses again. Just wait. But when young people are, the, those, when they are respectful and excellent and polite and hardworking, when they're the exception and rebellion and willful abandonment of biblical principles in the next generation is the norm, we're in a war for something. And let me give you one last little thing here, and then we'll wrap this up. Like I said, just a thought. When a mobile device and social media and the very, very advanced psychologically oriented algorithms that exist in our world today, when they become the primary force shaping the philosophies by which our children live their lives, rather than parents and grandparents, we're in a war. I watched a video that Pastor Jason showed me the other day. He's going to post a link today on the church's website. Uh, we can't show it because it's about an hour and 40 minutes long, but you all need to go watch it. It's got about a dozen of the, of the primary developers of Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and, and the people that helped develop. One guy's the guy that developed a like button on Facebook. And they talk about the unintended consequences of the things that they created. And they had no idea of where they would go and the influence that they would have. And how the very algorithms, if you don't understand that, mathematical programs that you click on something and it instantly begins to store information about you so that it can feed you what you want so that you'll stay connected to it. And it's deep, deeply psychologically oriented so that it will measure how long you stay on a thing and how much you like it so that you will spend hours and they're using it to shape the minds of children and teenagers. And when those, those platforms become the primary source of how to live instead of a mom or a dad or a grandpa or a grandma or a teacher then we're in a war that we're losing. Amen? What are, we, what are the consequences of that? I just want to give you one more deal and then three quick little ideas and then we'll be done. What does it look like if we just keep doing what we're doing? If we don't start reevaluating some things about what family is to us, what happens? This is a couple of years old, but... Here's a great little minute and 42 second piece of video that shows the implications of these things. Jason, roll that, please. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston. And I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah. I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week 
and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. And the primary institution for the propagation of Christian beliefs isn't this building. It's you, Mom. It's you, Dad. Grandma, Grandpa, it's you. And the reason the family is being eroded is because Satan wants to destroy God's touch on people. And if we don't do something about that, we're going to lose. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not really convinced. I'm not really convinced that it's a problem. I just got two more statistical deals and three little quick points. In 2010, approximately 30% of Americans surveyed said that the decline of the nuclear family in favor of alternative family types wasn't a big deal. 30% of people said that. When they said it was not a big deal, they meant that it was neither good nor bad. It was just something that was happening. By 2019, that number had jumped to 45%. 45% of people said that the erosion of the nuclear family wasn't any big deal. And in that... 30% believe that the erosion of the nuclear family was a good thing. Only 16% of Americans surveyed in 2019 said that the drift away from the nuclear family was a bad thing. An absolute answer, bad thing. 45% said it was no big deal, and 30% believed that it was a good thing. You say, well, what, what's the real impact of that? When you look at the world as a whole in relation to the statistic about single parenting. And let me tell you right now, guys, if you're, if you're here today and you're a single parent and you're raising kids, I want you to know that God's got your back and so do we. We believe in you. Amen? We just do. All right? However, I think any single parent would tell you it's better with two. It's hard. And when you look at the world as a whole about the percentage of people that live as single parents and then you compare that percentage to the number of people in the United States of America who are single parents, we are six times the world average. Why is that? Supposedly the most productive, freest, most advanced nation in the world and we have six times more single parents than the rest of the world percentage-wise? Why is that? Because the family, because fathers didn't believe that their commitment to their wife was sufficient, that they overlooked whatever they thought they weren't having. When they clicked on a pornographic website, they didn't understand that they were engaged in a spiritual war, and it wasn't just about the meeting of their own demands. Moms who left the homes for the, for the pursuit of some other something, didn't recognize 
that what they were really being wrapped up in was a satanic war on the family. They just thought it was about them. What do we do about it? All of that, all of that, that's just introduction to this series. I believe we're engaged in a war propagated by spiritual forces to destroy your family. And I want you to know that Satan would be just as happy to use good things as he is bad things. I can't tell you how many kids, preachers' kids, over the years that I've talked to that hate the church because of their dad's involvement in church all the time instead of family life. Satan will use good things as well as he will bad. He's not after just anything. He's after the family. Three real quick things. What do we do with it? We're going to have about five or six sermons. We're going to talk about dads. We're going to talk about moms. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about anything we can find that God's word gives us instruction about how we ought to live our family life. Three real quick things. Number one, ministry begins first at home. I'm as guilty as anybody else, maybe more, because I'm engaged in this for a living. But ministry begins first at home. Fathers, you can do this. Some of you have always lived in a world where the women in your life have been the primary spiritual carriers of the love for Jesus. Men, that has to stop. you got to step up, guys. We're going to give you some tools to make it as easy as we can. Single moms, single fathers, if you do this, if you're trying to do this, we got your back. So does God. We said that. But fathers, we've got some real simple tools. I don't know how we could make them more simple, but we've got small circle discipleship. We, we love our mobile devices. You can download an app right now. It's free. It's our primary initial discipleship tool. If you'll go to the app store, you can just click on small circle discipleship. Search that. You'll find a deal that's got a red circle. That's it. Click on that. Download that. It's free. And it's 12 very simple, straightforward lessons. Your kids can download it. You can make them the disciples. You can be the disciple maker. It will walk. You can read discipleship. 12 simple lessons over 12 weeks. Do it after dinner. And then make them kids clean up that dishes. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, amen. We used to have one that used to come up with all kinds of ideas. My heart hurts. Actually, I had one daughter that told me that. I can't do the dishes. My heart hurts. I said, your bottom's going to hurt if you don't get these dishes cleaned off this table. Her heart got her rhythm adjusted real quick. All right? Small circle discipleship. We've also got an incredible, it's free. It, it couldn't, we, we couldn't, I don't know what we could do to make it more easy for you. If you haven't already logged into Right Now Media, it's a free subscription that we pay for, for you. If you've got a smart device, some of you have not seen us do this yet, but if you text the word right now with no space, R-I-G-H-T-N-O-W space A-L-C-C, if you'll text that to 41411, you, it'll walk you through signing up for Right Now Media. It won't cost you a thing. We pay it every month for you. In there... There's a phenomenal study about missional families. It looks like this. If you'll search how or becoming a missional family, it's by a guy named P.C. Matthew. It is a phenomenal study of what it means to be a family that instead of just doing things for Christ, you become things for Christ. That coming to church isn't something you do. Being a Christian is something that your family is. And it's a tremendous study. You ought to log on right now. You ought to take your smartphone out and log on and watch that. It's just five videos, the longest of which is just 14 minutes long. You can do it just like that. Sit down with your family. Pull them all together. Watch this Becoming a Missional Family series. It's a tremendous, tremendous tool. Ministry begins first at home. Secondly, every member of your family is a responsible member for the family. 
Any member of the family can be the conduit of God's presence and blessing. We've got some teenagers that attend our church and their parents and their extended family, none of them come. These teens bring themselves to church every Sunday. Man, I'm proud of those kids. We got kids running cameras, yeah. I don't even, we got, we got teenagers that come here and we don't even know who their parents are. Teenagers, listen, I want you to know we got your back too. But you can be used of God to be the conduit of the, you, you're not excused. It, it, do this with me if you're a teen like that. This afternoon, get out and just start walking around your house. Just walk around your house. And when you're walking around the house, just start praying. Lord, I just claim my mom for Jesus. I claim my dad for Jesus. That reprobate older brother, Lord knows he needs you, Jesus. Save him too. All right? And when your parents ask you what you're doing, and if you really want to impress them, put a lawnmower in your hand while you're doing it. <laughs> hey, you've mowed that same spot three times. What do you, I'm not really mowing. I'm praying for you. Pastor Roy, they're going to think I'm crazy. They already think you're crazy. You're a teenager. <laughs> Tell them, I'm praying for our family, Mom. I'm praying that Jesus would do something in our lives. But that's not really your job. It's your dad's job. Men, it's your job. Step up. Secondly, every member of the family is responsible for the family. Any member of the family can be the conduit of God's presence and blessing. No member of the family can live only to themselves without the family suffering. Listen, guys, I like golf, and I like fishing, and I like building things, but those can't be before my family. Those of you that like to fish, I'm sorry. Family's got to be first in that somewhere. You got to build things for the family. You got to build the family. Number three, every member of the family needs to orient themselves towards the Lord. Every member of the family. Every member of the family. And dads, that's your job. Do something with me this morning. Would you stand? Worship team, come on back. I'm sorry that this wasn't, I don't know, maybe, oh, that was a great sermon. Well, feels like a talk to me. That's, that's, uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That feels like, a, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be here next week. <laughs> I don't know. That's what that feels like to me when people clap. Thank you very much. Yeah. Be sure and see your usher on the way out. I don't know. I, listen. God's got some things he wants to do. He's not done with our world yet. If you're an individual that's lamenting the state of our world, this is where we begin to change it, right here. This morning, right here. You say, oh, no, no, we're going to vote in a few days. Politicians can't do this. Politicians can't do this. They can't make families better. That's our job. And don't worry about your neighbors right now. Won't you just worry about yours? Worry about your family. So to begin that, I'm looking for some men. I'm going to get to the ladies in a minute and the teens and all those, but to begin with, I'm looking for some men. I'm not asking you if you're the greatest Christian in the world. I'm not, and you're not. Let's just all admit that we're not right now, okay? So that's not, I'm looking for, you know, men of God who call down fire from heaven. I am looking for those. I just don't know any of them, all right? I'm just looking for some men who something this morning concerned you and you would say, I, I give the Lord a shot in my family. If you'll help me, Pastor Roy, and if he'll help me, 
I'll say, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, as much as I can, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm not promising to live a sinless life. I'm not promising to always agree with everything my wife says. We're never going to have another fight again. Well, if you're going to stay married, that's all right. Come on. I'm, I live in a real world here, okay? I'm not, I'm not looking for supermen. I'm just looking for men who will say, I'll try. If that's you, I want you to step out and walk down here. Don't look and see if anybody else is coming. Just start walking. Come on. There you go. I'll do it. I'll live. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you can clap. That's all right. Men, would you move on up? Because there's too many of us. I'll do it. I don't want my little girls to be abused by some man someday. I want her to find a godly man. I want her to be loved. I want her to be cherished. I'll, I'll do my best to leave my home. I don't even know all that that means. That's all right to say. I don't even know all that that means. It's all right to say, man, I should have started this a long time ago. Guys, I'm the pastor and sometimes I don't lead my family in the way that I'm supposed to. I get it. I live in this world. Amen? So I have no guilt, no shade to throw at anybody. I'm just glad you're here. All right? And that you would say, I'm going to step up. I'm going to do my best, lead my family, be a godly man, love my wife, protect my kids, stay off of porn, get rid of the internet if I have to. Ladies, you say, Pastor, you said pornography. Yes, I did, because about, about one in three men today statistically are addicted to it. it. It's foisted upon men today. That's no excuse, but you say, okay, I'm going to... If I got if I got to jerk the, I, ha, I knew one guy that actually took the computer and threw it out a window. Yeah, it was his neighbor's computer. But anyway, so no, it was his. He borrowed it. No, listen, you got to decide. This won't be easy. This is hard, man. We live in a crazy world today. Now, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some. If if your husband's up here and you'd say, I'll come along beside him. I'm his wife. We don't always agree on everything, but we agree on this. Come on, ladies, come up and join him. Come up and join him right now. Come on up. And if you're a lady in the room and you say, I, I don't have a husband, how about a young, young women that say, I don't have a husband, but when I find one, I'd like for him to be a man who would honor God, and I'm going to be a godly woman. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're a single woman. Maybe you're here. Come on. I'm I'm a woman who's going to live for the Lord. Come on. Come on up. Move up here. Move up in front of some of those men that wouldn't come up to the front. There you go. Move. I'm sorry, Bob. Just move up. As for me and my house, as for me and my workplace, now I'm looking for some teenagers. Hey, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to honor my mother and father. I'm going to love my mom. I'm going to love my dad. Even when when they may not do the right thing, I'm going to receive the promise of God for honoring my parents. Come on, teenagers, if that's you, step out from where you are. Move up to the front. Come on. I'm looking for young people, young adults, young marrieds, people that want to be married someday that would say, someday I'm going to have a family, and in my family, 
we're going we're gonna to honor the Lord. We're going to do the things that God wants us to do. You don't even know all that that means yet, and you don't even know how to get there. That's not what I'm asking you today. I'm just asking for people that would say, this is where we're going. Our kids are going to be, when, someday when we have kids, we're going to love those kids. When they drive me crazy, I'm still going to love them. Dads, it would say, I'm not leaving. I'm going to see my kids get old. I'm going to make them take care of me when I'm old. Amen? I'm going to be grandpa and great-grandpa. I'm going to be toddling around, messing with everybody someday because I earned the right in this family to do so. I'm in. I'm in for the long haul here. I'm looking for men who would say, no matter how or what the world says my wife is supposed to be, I'm going to love her like I love myself. I'm going to love my kids and my grandkids. We're going to create families that honor the Lord. Amen? Father, this morning, we are here in your presence. And we live in a world where some of the things I've talked about this morning, Father, I've avoided because they're, they're almost like they're controversial. Men married to women. Women married to men. Young people waiting to have sex until they're married. We have some in the room that young people that nobody ever even told them that. They're already past that point in their life. Lord, I don't want there to be any guilt, any condemnation. That's not who you are. They can start from right now and live a godly life. Lord, we live in a world where these things, people get married and they stay married their whole lives. Where divorce is sociologically frowned upon. We don't bring condemnation, but when we have friends that are talking about that, we counsel them, no, don't do it. Don't go that way. That's not the way to go. You got to work it out. You got to find some help. You got to, I'll talk to him. My wife will talk to her. We, we just not, we're, that may happen, Father, but when it does, we're going to lament it. We're not going to celebrate it. We're going to bring love and reconciliation, and we're going to do everything we can, Father, to be who you've called us to be. Some have suffered the pain of divorce, Lord. I lived through it many times in my parents' lives. I got no condemnation, Father, just love, acceptance. But it's not the way that things should go. We need to teach our young people, Lord, how to, how to, work, how to look for a, a spouse. create an environment where godliness is, is who we are not what we do we're not perfect we don't live and Lord we love everyone those that would try to make marriage something else we would oppose what they're trying to do while loving them um, Lord I think you want to create a church mature enough to do both I don't hate I love but I don't agree Give us the grace to speak into our world. Give us men strong enough to stand for what's right. Right, Father, when racism rears its head around us, men who would step up and say, no, that's, that's wrong. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't tell that joke. You shouldn't treat that person that way. Why? What? Why? Well, because 
because I'm a Christian. That's not who we are. Because you say you're a Christian. And that's not who you're. Men who sharpen like iron sharpens iron. Women who speak grace and strength into the relationships around them. Kids who excel, love their moms and dads, love their grandparents, love their little brothers and sisters, Lord. Love family, Lord. Bind us together that we might change the world. Because family matters, Lord. It mattered to you and it ought to matter to us. So, Lord, I pray for each of these men and each of these women and each of these young marrieds and each of these unmarrieds and each of these children. We have widows and widowers in the room, each, whatever category, Father, single parents. And I pray, Lord, you would let such a spiritual commitment rest upon us for family. We do what it takes to strengthen them, Father, to bless them, and to see them become all that you want them to be. Bless each one today, Lord. As we go through this series, bring conviction where it's needed. Touch us, Lord, to be your people. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let it begin with us, men, Father, loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Teach us through it. In Jesus' powerful name.